Welcome to Mach 10 Sports in this August 7th, 2023 episode. Hey, it's officially, it's fall camp. Fall camp is here. We're heading into the biggest week of the season. I mean, biggest week of fall camp. But we got fall camp updates for all 14 teams. Like I mentioned, probably biggest week in all of fall camp, preseason practice, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, you got pads are about to be put on. You got first week of scrimmages. First scrimmage coming up here the end of this week, uh, this weekend, depending when your team started. Then reps. Reps are about to be uh, cut back a little bit. You're trying to nail down that too deep just to see uh, who should be really getting that reps for the season. I mean, in, at some point, you got to kind of narrow it down to that top 40 like I always talk about. It's not your top 22, but your top 40. Always got to be kind of narrowing that down uh, from that standpoint. So we got a lot to talk about from a all 14 teams, fall camp update. Then we got Bobby Petrino talked Sunday about his relationship with Jimbo Fisher. Now his role will be as the new offensive coordinator, as we all know, in 2023. We'll talk about that. And South Carolina's NIL Collective, that interesting tweet uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, we'll go over that just a little brief. It's not a big segment. We'll give it to you real fast. And then uh, we got the coaches poll has been released. I'll give you that. I know that doesn't really mean a lot. I don't really get real fired up about the coaches poll. I wish polls would come out probably during the season. Uh, some interesting ones, probably two that come off the top of your head for a team that some may say is a little overrated and some teams that are a little underrated. Then finally, we will discuss my confidence level for every big-time SEC mat- non-conference matchup heading into the season. So just my prediction, one through ten, how confident do I feel in that specific SEC team heading into that non-conference matchup. We'll do every game, because that's obviously the ones that Florida State, Florida, we're not going to do Clemson, South Carolina, we're not going to do that, Georgia, Georgia Tech. I say the ones that are um, at the beginning of the season, first month, I'll give them one through ten, that conference level. So we'll get to that. But first, let's get right to it. Bobby Petrino said he has not made up his mind if he'll be calling plays from the box or on the sideline. Some guys are different. Some guys are more in their element when they're in the box. They feel like they can concentrate more, look at their call sheet. Some guys like to be on the sideline talking to their quarterback in person, but also there's a lot more distractions on there. Looks like Petrino's probably leaning towards being in the box, so that's interesting. I really don't think this whole relationship thing with Jimbo and Bobby Petrino are going to be as as big of a deal as people made it out to be. I've said it before in the show. I'm high on AM this year. Um, I'm not really worried about the offense. I mean, these are just guys that truly – these are two guys – it's not just them in this offensive staff room. you got Jimbo Fisher, obviously, Bobby Petrino, obviously, James Coley, good offensive mind, and you got – uh, Jim Chaney, sorry, slipped my mind from it. Been the OC at Tennessee with Tyler Bray when Dooley was there. They put up big numbers. They, the only reason why they were decent back then was because of these offensive numbers. Um, then you had him at Georgia, solid at Georgia. And I think he was an analyst with the Saints recently in Georgia Tech. But he's on the staff, great offensive mind. I think, and to be fair to people, I think people are, I'm not really worried about it at the beginning of the season. It was what most people were probably saying. Most people are like, Dave, I'm not worried about it at the beginning of the season. I'm more worried about it. Week four um, against Auburn, week five against Arkansas, week six against Alabama, week seven against Tennessee. When the bullets are flying, how are they going to react? Everybody's fine. It's all fine and dandy when we're undefeated. It's fall camp. We're all saying the nice thing. How will it be when the bullets start firing? Because inevitably, the bullets are going to start firing at some point. I think people are going to be pleasantly, I mean, if you're rooting against somebody, it's not going to be pleasantly, but I think some people are going to be surprised about how well this offensive staff is going to mesh. I mean, I got a quote here from Max Johnson. Currently battling for the job, some say backup quarterback member transferred from LSU, Brad Johnson's son. Quote, we've mainly met with Coach Petrino in all meetings, said redshirt junior quarterback Max Johnson. 
That's who we've pretty much been learning from. So I think it is Bobby Petrino's show, obviously, until it's not. And no one can really predict that. And I still think that's a fair, it's a fair assessment. That could be an issue. I don't think it's as big of an issue as people think. Um, I think Bobby Trino does a great job getting his playmakers the ball. I picked this up from his press conference yesterday. When he was with Arkansas and Louisville, he implemented an FTS philosophy, and that philosophy stands for feed the studs. He has a ton of studs. We'll get into it with the fall camp update. I think AM may have the best wide receiver room in the conference, if not the country. We'll get into that in just a minute. But he has plenty of studs to get the ball to. Smart coordinator. He talks about, I, I, I'm not trying to draw up plays to have this perfect scheme or a ha I got you moment to the defensive coordinator. I'm trying to get my best players the ball so our team can put themselves in the best opportunity to get points. That's all it is. That's all it is. I think this is blown a little bit out of proportion. But just wanted to bring that up. Bobby Petrino, obviously, uh, it's that time of year coordinators are starting to talk that once, twice a year, these head coaches let these coordinators talk to the media right before fall camp and right before uh, bowl practice, bowl prep. So just kind of thought about before we get deep into uh, to the episode, just wanted to bring up some of that from Bobby Petrino. And then quickly, South Carolina's NIL Collective. Interesting, kind of funny. The Garnet Trust, that's the name of the NIL Collective in Columbia for South Carolina, sent an interesting reply on Twitter on Saturday. Uh, it looks like they replied to Mike Uva, who covers South Carolina's Gamecock Central, I think, for On3 Sports, does a good job. His tweet was, that's the scary thing. Shane Beamer and his staff have done a tremendous job of selling the program in an era where that's not always going to be enough to sell. Knowing some of the plans, the at Garnet Trust, remember that's the compliance or the uh, the collective, if they raise the funds, and I couldn't read the whole thing, but they quote tweeted it, the Garnet Trust, which remember is South Carolina's collective, and said if money is the deciding factor for a player, chances are they aren't the kind of athlete who will appreciate the culture our coaches are building. Talking about South Carolina, Shane Beamer's culture. That's coming from the Garnet Trust, the collective at South Carolina, talking about kids making decisions off money. The, yeah, I mean, what do you say about that? It's just kind of pot calling the kettle black, I guess. It's just an interesting kind of segment. I, it's kind of awareness. I'm sure Shane Beamer's like, oh, come on, man. Whoever runs that social media account. It's to- I mean, Shane Beamer's got a million things on his mind right now, specifically probably his offensive line and just his team in general for fall camp. But the collective sending that being like, yeah, I mean, kids who want money are probably not going to fit into the culture here in South Carolina. And Beamer's like, you're not speaking for our football team. That's just our collective. Could bring up issues. It's not going to cost them a recruit, though. Just kind of funny how – we kind of have the curtain of college football kind of vaguely pulled back, but we still kind of want to keep the amateurism of it. Always kind of cracks me up. So that's an interesting standpoint there. Let's get to some fall camp. Get to some fall camp updates. Uh, Florida, start off with Florida. We start in the SECs. They're going to be well coached this year. Uh, not saying they weren't last year, but <clears throat> I think they know their weaknesses this year. But new defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong is already emphasizing a key important detail that Florida was very poor in tackling last year. You go watch any Florida highlights of their practice, they're always in the tackling circuits, and that's massive. I mean, I remember when I worked in college football, I, I was an NFL liaison, and I'd ask these NFL scouts who go to multiple schools all the time, why is tackling so bad in college football now? And they said it pretty simply. We notice the teams who tackle well are the teams who practice it. So you have to practice it. If you're out there worried about not getting guys to the game because you don't want them to get beat up or have some bumps and bruises – it's going to affect it's going to eventually show up on game day when they're trying to tackle a running back or a slot receiver just a receiver in general in the open field and it's just 
and they're missing tackles because we're not practicing it. They're not getting enough reps. I think that's critical. Tip of the cap to Austin Armstrong there. I mean, sophomore corner Devin Moore even stated Florida's going to play a lot more press this year. He stated last year, even on third and short, they didn't play a lot of press. They gave up the quick hitch route, gave up some key third downs. Thought that was an issue. I thought it was a key point by Devin Moore. An interesting take right there. Um, transition to the offense. I do think Mertz is going to be a serviceable guy. The entire key, though, Florida's offense. I think Mertz is winnable to go get you six, seven wins. don't think he's going to win any championship. It's going to be the offensive line. It's going to be the offensive line depth. I say it all the time. I could make that statement about a lot of teams, the depth of offensive line. But I think losing Michael, Michael Tarquin, who's a Florida kid, to USC in the transport one. Ethan White, who I believe was supposed to go to Southern Cal, but ended up, I think, not playing football. Just those bodies alone. I mean, Tarquin was a starter. Ethan White had started some games. Rob Sell and that group in the offensive line are going to miss a little bit. Uh, the wide receiver unit, youthful. Uh, just like most of the talent on this roster, I'm looking at the roster right now. Uh, Florida staff knows what to do, though. I trust Florida staff. They know what to do, but their best players are the young cats, except for a handful there. So can the young cats that are the best players with the highest ceilings grow up quicker than Florida's probably even anticipated, especially when you add in a tough schedule? Should be interesting. I like Florida. Again, I like Billy Napier. It's just will he get time? I think Florida's probably going to be in that five to six win range this year, and the schedule has a lot to do with that game here in the three weeks against Utah is going to be massive. But this is a little quick update from the fall camp down in Gainesville. Moving over to Vandy. First team to scrimmage. They scrimmaged yesterday. Remember, they were playing week zero against Hawaii. Hawaii's returning that trip uh, to Nashville. Sounds like there were a lot of explosive plays in the Commodore's first scrimmage with the secondary still being a primary issue, it sounds like. Now, they did have a, a multiple contributors out a little bit, uh, guys like Ricky Wright, but I, I honestly don't think that's the biggest issue. Yeah, they probably don't give up as many explosive plays, but I still think personnel in the back end, even when those guys are healthier, just not good enough to go win uh, three to four SEC games like it would take for Vanderbilt to get over the edge to make a bowl game. Uh, I think Vandy's going to have some explosive plays in themselves on offense. I like Ken Seals. He has some weapons. Will Shepard, London Humphreys, Quincy Skinner Jr. Those guys can make plays. I think I think our, our Vanderbilt's explosive plays on offense are going to be there if the offensive line can protect. Like I said, I feel good about the offense. But even with the guys that were missing on defense, I still think there's a major hole in the back end. Just that old Miss game, if you're a Vanderbilt fan from last year, has to give you nightmares. I think this is more of a personnel issue than Clark Lee. But that's your update from Nashville right now. Defense still giving up explosive plays. Offense, I think they're going to hit on some of their explosive plays. Uh, Georgia, I mean, sounds like Georgia fans right now are more worried and more concerned about not getting all their five stars from their home state. If you know what I'm talking about, K.J. Bolden from Buford committing to Florida State over the weekend. Uh, Jalen Walker is going to be a guy I think that takes the next step this year. Um, most likely off the ball, though. I think he could be able to kind of come around and play inside backer and also come off the edge on third down and be able to provide some value there. Look for him. Jalen Walker to have a big year. Rare attribute there. Rare attribute. Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, then were used. You had guys like Dante Hightower, C.J. Mosley sometimes, but really Dante Hightower who was the winner initially, they kind of started doing that. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Glenn Schumann were there at Alabama. Was, he'd be first and second down inside the box, third down, one of their better pass rushers. they get him in that little uh, hybrid package right there. Just let him go. Some people call it NASCAR package. Whatever it may, but George, George is fine. George is fine. Again, they're fighting that complacency every day. That's their biggest battle. Georgia fans right now kind of spending, what freshman guys are kind of standing out? Uh, saw Rusty Manziel tweeted, Justin Red, the safety from Bishop Gorman, has been standing out. But, again, can he withstand that freshman wall? 
Can he withstand that freshman wall? That's going to be key there. All these freshmen come out firing. There's always a handful of them that you're like, oh, man, he could play. And they start separating themselves. Hey, yeah, he can't hit the wall. He can't. Oh, this guy's going to help us at least on special teams. Starts being like that a little bit. Um, where they're going to hit wall, class is starting. That's why early enrolling guys who can early enroll are so key because they get the fundamental of how the classroom, school, tutoring is going to work. You get thrown into the fire as a freshman, you get a little pr- misconception. I think you'd really say, like, oh, it's just football for a while. Then classes start, tutors start. It's a lot more. But Georgia, again, everything sounds great at Georgia. Quarterbacks sound like they've struggled right off the bat, not as quickly adapting in fall camp as they would like. But, again, Georgia's going to be fine. Biggest enemy is themselves. It's the update from Athens. Moving over to Knoxville, team trying to knock Georgia off in the SECs. Look, Tennessee's a confident team right now. This is a team with 32 returning seniors. 32 returning seniors on the roster. That's a lot. A lot of guys who played football in the SEC. Um, offensively, we should all keep an eye on the offensive line depth if, when it happens. You keep hearing me say that about a lot of teams. That's an issue right now. Um, Addison Nichols will be key on the interior. We get some reps as backup center, backup guard. He's a swing guy. Could be that sixth, seventh guy off the sideline for him. Also, I think Tennessee's set with their big four at receiver. Yeah, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White, then Oregon transfer Dante Thornton, I think is going to shoot out this year. I like him this year. That really seems like the four is going to be set for him between McCoy, but I think Ramel Keaton is going to be one of the more consistent wide receivers in the SEC this year. <clears throat> Squirrel White, obviously, if he can stay healthy, and then Dante Thornton, uh, some pretty good players right there. On defense, the question mark for the balls right now, who starts at corner? Who will be cross-trained at the star position as well? Got a lot of veterans back there. It's played a lot of football in the secondary. Again, if they can stay healthy, guys like Danico Slaughter, Kamal Hayden, Gabe Judy Lally, the transfer from BYU could have a big say on that. Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews, and Warren Burrell. Those are guys going to step up in the secondary. Key guys on that defense are going to be two BYU transfers. Call me crazy. I think the inside linebacker, Keenan Peely, and like I just mentioned, uh, Gabe Judy Lally, sorry for the last name. Gabe, Judy, Lally are going to be big guys that can have impact for Tennessee's defense this year. It's crazy to say two BYU transfers could be could have a big say on if Tennessee gets in double-digit wins in their first 12 games because the defense – and, again, this was a defense that got some bad rap last year. Got People were like, oh, they're not very good. Well, they only – I think they only gave up, ended up giving up, what, like 22, 24 points a game. They were fine. They were opportunistic. It's an older group. Is fall camps going on? Read more reports, watch more practice hots. Tennessee's on that verge of me. And remember, next Thursday, I'll be giving my SEC full season predictions. I, I'm on that cusp, 9, 10, leaning 10 right now. Just like the senior leadership. Just like the senior leadership. Not ready to say they're ready to win the SEC East by any chance. But I like Tennessee. They, they kind of seem like they got an attitude that they're like, hey, last year wasn't a fluke. Uh, but moving on, South Carolina, going to Columbia, South Carolina. To carry on, Joyner is the number one running back in the room, according to new offensive coordinator Dow Logans. Uh, still, we'll need guys like Juju McDowell, kind of a scat back, kind of could do it all, but he's not an every down between the tackle back. That's what to carry on, Joyner. If you don't know who to carry on, Joyner has played, played, played quarterback before, uh, has played receivers, played a lot of different positions, obviously. If you're if you're not really familiar with South Carolina State and you're an Alabama guy, I think a little Blake Sims-ish without the actual starting quarterback. Position being in that, that's who to carry on Joiner could be. It's like his, I mean, his legacy would be cemented in South Carolina if he could turn in and have a productive season in the backfield for him. But uh, Dow Logan's to carry on Joiner, RB1 right now. Um, lost in all this though. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but also another guy for Mario Anderson Jr. is a guy I want to talk about. I was about to skip ahead, but I wanted to talk about him. The Newberry transfer, um, it's going to be a little bit of a learning process for him, but between the three of those guys, 
DeCarrion Joyner, Juju McDowell, and Mario Anderson Jr., someone's going to have to step up, if not two. Uh, the defense, on the same side, they're trying to stop the run. The offensive line is trying to push along and get – on both sides of the line of scrimmage, South Carolina's going to have to be able to run the football and stop the run. That's what they're working on. Uh, just major question marks on defense right now. Just major question marks right there. Uh, actually, the defense will be a solid group next year. I like the defense next year heading into 24 than I do this upcoming season. Young cats like Pup Howard will be a year older. Uh, Nick Manawari will be a year older. And then DQ Smith, the two safeties will be a year older. And then you also got Pup Howard, the linebacker, will be a sophomore going in there. So I, I don't know how I feel about South Carolina's uh, defense this year, but I think next year – I'm buying, I'm buying it right now. Obviously, we have a whole season to go through this year. But it's just a young, unproven defense. I don't know how much better they can actually get this year. But, again, the key for the Gamecocks, if you're falling their fall camp, pay attention to the offensive line, the running back room, and the front seven on defense. It's all going to start and end with running the football and stopping the run for South Carolina this year. Uh, Kentucky moving over to Lexington. As you know, Kentucky runs, returns its top three receivers from last year. Uh, Barry and Brown, though, out right now with some soft tissue injury. It is that time of year. If you don't know what soft tissue injuries are, it's kind of like hamstrings, plantar fasciitis, some bruising. It's really treatment, maintenance in the, in the training room. And to all the trainers and uh, athletic training staff out there, hey, they're their real heroes this time of year. It's like a mash unit in there with guys consistently – throughout the morning, throughout the day, throughout the night, continuing to get that treatment. That gets the, it, it, it could save a week or two off an injury. Those people are very important. Give a golf clap, tip of the cap to your uh, favorite team's athletic training staff. So that'll be key as well uh, for your guys bouncing back from some of these inevitably soft tissue. Soft tissue injuries are not talked about a lot. Bumps and bruises you can play with, kind of a pain tolerance. But that's kind of what Baron Browning's dealing with right now. Uh, Mark Stoops mentioned Kentucky's a little down in numbers from wide receivers for, just from top to bottom to be able to practice. And remember, you need numbers at wide receiver. That's why you see a lot of wide receiver coaches trying to bring in walk-ons late, at least in my experience, because they know they're putting a lot of miles, a lot of steps in on their running on their wide receivers who are running plays. They have to run all the way back, get another play. It's just a lot of steps on their legs this early in the season when they're probably never going to be 100% healthy again after this. So they're down bodies right now. Interesting to see how that affects maybe the development or the cohesiveness with Devin Leary and the receivers. Probably looking into it a little bit too much. Probably not Probably not as big of a deal. But uh, tight ends not talked about at Kentucky a lot. The receivers obviously know. We, we know the big three. But Jordan Dingle, Josh Caddis, and Vernon Bates are tight end options for the Wildcats this year. Liam Cohen walking around Lexington right now like the new kid – on the block who just returned to his high school. He's that kid. Everyone had it. He's the guy at your high school that went to your high school, left for a little bit, maybe not as confident as a kid when he was first there, left, kid grew into his body, hit the weight room, came back. Dude's the coolest man on campus. People are welcoming him back. What's up, Johnny? We're back. Or what's up, Liam? You're, Liam, you're welcome back. He's more comfortable in his shoes. People are more comfortable with him. This guy has some swag around him. That's the vibe I'm getting with Liam Cohen right now. I think it's massive he's coming back. No, no offense to Rich Kangarillo. But I think Liam Cohen's the guy for this job right now. Just keep an eye on the transfer Northern Illinois, Marquise Cox, uh, Cortland Ford from USC coming in there. And even to an extent, the Alabama transfer, Tanner Bowles, great additions to Kentucky's office line. They're going to have to help. And also just you, you watch some of the videos, highlights of these uh, fall camp practices. You see a lot more length on this Kentucky team. They, they, they look more physical. They look like a solid offensive line group right now. And I think some of that's with those transfers that I mentioned between Cox, Ford, and Bowles. But again, just pay attention to the Kentucky offensive line. The big blue wall, can they get that standard back? That's going to be the key. So if you're following Kentucky's fall camp, that's what you need to see and listening to what Mark Stoops, Liam Cohen are saying about that. Moving to Columbia, Missouri. 
Como, Missouri. What stands out to me is just the recruiting job that Eli Drinkwitz and his staff have done so far. The, recruit, the talent starting to catch up with them, just like I said with uh, Texas A&M all the time. Because Missouri, they've kept a lot of those in-state kids in Missouri at home. This is the deepest team he's had so far. I was watching some of the practice clips of one-on-ones, and I was like, dang, man, there's some depth on the offensive line now. They have some depth on the offensive line just in particular this year. And Eli Drinkwitz echoed that same state. Um, the left side seems set, but Drinkwitz feels like he has eight, nine guys that are really in contention for that for starting spot. Good job. A lot of teams can't say that. Now, we'll find out in the fall if that's true, but he feels comfortable in it. Uh, guys like Houston transfer Cameron Johnson, Balen Eckerson, and EJ Nadoma Ogar are guys that need to step up for that offensive line. And I keep saying it. The quarterback position, Eli Drinkwitz's baby. I know Eli Drinkwitz is not calling plays this year. Brought in Fresno State's offensive coordinator. He's going to – Kirby Moore is going to do a good job. But Eli Drinkwitz, quarterback's his baby. Brady Moore or Jake Garcia, the Miami transfer, is going to have to step up. I think if they get quarterback play, Missouri can win eight games this year because they got the defense. They got a lot of veteran guys back, and they got weapons on the outside. The running back room is good enough. They like their depth on the offensive line. You're not hearing that a lot. Quarterback room will be will, – Make or break for Missouri. It's what it is. It's what it is. Brady Cook has to hit his deep throws down field. Whenever there's opportunity, he has to take advantage of it. A little bit like Connor Wigman. We'll get to that in a minute at AM. Kind of similar. Uh, Drink also mentioned not real fired up about his wide receivers blocking on the edge. He says, no block, no rock. We'll see. But they got to keep developing overall. Uh, but that's a, that's a good wide receiver room with Theo Weiss, Luther Burden. Uh, guys like that. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, heading to the West, lead off of Mississippi State. Let's just say the running backs and tight ends are in heaven. Guys like Jaquavius Marks at running back, Riley Goaty, the Georgia transfer at tight end, and Jaquavius Spivey, the transfer from TCU. Those guys, I think they had to build a tight end room at Mississippi State. Uh, but those guys are getting reps now. I mean, you talked about Jaquavius Marks. I saw him say, he's like, yeah, I mean, I was kind of the guy that had to be the lead blocker in the last offense. No offense, Mike Leach. Obviously, he's productive. He's productive as hell. Hall of Famer. But he's like, I had to take on the big guy, the big DNs, right? I was the first blocker. He's like, in this offense, I may be the second guy. I'm moving up to a safety where I have a lot more mass on him. So they feel more comfortable. You know the running backs and tight end have to love this offense. Um, defensively, they're going to need some guys like the Carlos Nicholson and Marcus Banks to step up in the secondary. If you remember Marcus Banks, if that name sounds familiar, it's an Alabama transfer. One of those two guys are going to have to – they lost a lot in the secondary. You're going to have to replace that. Remember Emmanuel Forbes, he's gone. We're really talking about safeties here. And real quick thing I, I garnered from it. It really feels like Zach Arnett's overall just philosophy married with Kevin Barbes, the new offensive coordinator coming over from App State's offensive foundation are just married very well together. I like it. Mississippi State, kind of like Tennessee. You feeling out fall camp, you're starting to like them a little more. Is it changing my predictions a little bit? Maybe by a game or two. At this point, I kind of have a feel for each team, or I do have a feel for each team. You know, first week, first two weeks of fall camp, really want to see that first scrimmage. That's why I say this week is so critical for people that don't believe me that you haven't worked in the industry. The first scrimmage, the second week when you start putting the pads on, your body's aching. It's that second week. We're getting to practice eight, nine. It's not as cool, not from a temperature-wise, but I'm just not as jacked going out there in the morning or the afternoon anymore. Oh, meetings are getting bored. School is about to start. It's this week, and then leading into the second scrimmage, it's really going to tell it all. That'll be key for Mississippi State, but I like where Arnett Barbay are right now on the same page. Look out for the dogs this year. See people picking them finish last in the West. I'm having a hard time doing it. Moving on to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Everyone is initially going to talk about the quarterback battle. Uh, it sounded like from the open practice this past week, Ty Simpson made some of the better throws. Jalen Milrow may be a little more consistent. 
looks like it's between them right now that nobody has said that, but it just seems like Tyler Buckner's just kind of an afterthought. It could be a weird thing where the winner of the quarterback job, and again, I think it's going to be Ty Simpson, I think will be one, and then maybe Buckner comes in as that solid backup, which, I mean, if that's your backup, that's a high floor in the quarterback room. Man. That's a Gator Bowl MVP. Call me crazy. I mean, I'll take him as a backup quarterback in today's time over some true freshmen that have never played before. Call me crazy. Just doesn't seem like Buckner's really in contention. Again, this, these scrimmages are going to really where these guys are going to separate, separate one another from. That's really where it's going to be. Um, running back room stacked, just stacked. Jace McClellan, I think, is going to have a big year. Roy Dell Williams, you got Jam Miller, um, Justice Haynes, Richard Young, the freshman who was not an early enrollee from Lehigh, Florida. People like him. You heard Tommy Reese talking. Nick Saban lets his coordinators, like we we mentioned, talk twice a year. Talk to let Kevin Still and Tommy Reese talk. Tommy Reese was not concerned. Embarrassment of riches in the running backs room is kind of the vibe I got from it. So Bama will be fine there. Offensive line from left to right seemed like it was going. Caden Proctor at left tackle, Terrence Ferguson left guard, Seth McLaughlin center, Tyler Booker right guard, and J.C. Latham uh, over there at right tackle. Elijah Pritchett mixed in as well. Seemed like he was a little hurt though. So see where that we'll see where he was in the mix. But from left to right, it looked like for the tide. I'm talking to people and seeing some images. Caden Proctor, from left to right, at left tackle, Terrence Ferguson, left guard, Seth McLaughlin, center, Tyler Booker, right guard, J.C. Latham, right tackle, and Elijah Pritchett will be in the mix as well. From a defensive perspective, it just sounds like Alabama is just going to focus back on the little things. It was just what frustrated Alabama fans the most the last few years, honestly, from the defensive side, lack of turnovers, missed tackles, the physical mentality, and that they were so penalized the last year or two. It was just not a typical Alabama team that just did not beat themselves. They were forcing you to beat yourself, and they were not going to beat themselves. Alabama was always usually in the top five. When Nick Saban – I mean, they're still their prime, obviously. But when they were really just rolling those years, just always top five, one of the least disciplined teams in the country. I remember for a while there, I know this is the opposite side of the ball, but Alabama went like two seasons without a – or a whole season without a holding call off time. That sounds crazy. It probably did hold. But just still – it's, it's just crazy. The discipline was not there the last two years. I think that's what Kevin Still and Tommy Reese are trying to get back to both sides of the ball. I mean, Tyler Booker, going back to the offense for here for just a minute, both talking about, hey, they want to be smash mouth, just murder ball right now. Bama's saying all the right things. Now, will it happen and translate onto the field? That's a different story, but they're saying the right things. So you can tell it's been emphasized all offseason in the weight room, team meetings, seven-on-seven skellies. Alabama's trying to get that physical mentality back. They're trying to get that edge back. Um, but – Lack of turnovers, missed tackles, penalties, all that stuff um, is kind of where Alabama is trying to get back to. Uh, Kevin Steele has echoed, echoed that standard. And like I said, guys like Deontay Lawson and Cooley McKinstry on defense as well. Uh, but Bama, I think probably – I was looking at the rush. But deepest team from top – from 1 to 40 in the SEC West, not the SEC. George is the deepest team in their top 40, 1 through 40 in the SEC. I think – LSU is the most proven top 22, except outside the secondary. Alabama's got the best top 40, in my opinion. That's what I would say from that perspective. But again, I like Alabama right now. You're going to see some false uh, stuff posted on social media about, oh, they look terrible the other day. There's some balls thrown in the dirt. Well, some of that is true. Wait for the scrimmages. Wait for the scrimmages. I'm still betting Ty Simpson, but I think he's going to be surrounded by a solid unit. Again, didn't mention much about the wide receivers. I think it's going to be a good unit this year. But really, Bama just getting back to Bama. Run the football. Do not commit penalties. Do not beat yourself. Force some more turnovers. Bring back that physical mentality. That's kind of what you've been hearing really since SEC media days. 
Uh, and really when Alabama's been able to get out in front of a microphone, echoed from their coaches, Tommy Reese, Kevin Steele, obviously Nick Saban, and from their senior leaders, you started echoing that. So it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll find out probably closer to week two whether that'll be true. But uh, that's what we got from Tuscaloosa. Heading to College Station, Texas A&M, Connor Wigman. You look at the quarterback drills you see on tape, his feet. He's, he's developing. Bobby Petrino's developing. This is going to work on offense, guys. I'm telling you. I'm not being bashful about it anymore. I think the offense is going to be fine. We're about the AM defense. We'll get to them in just a minute. But he's a, his feet are more in unison with his hands. He looks developed over the summer. And that's a tip of the cap to Bobby Petrino and obviously Connor Weeman himself. Uh, I have no doubt Connor Weeman is going to make some improvised plays this year. More of a Brett Favre mentality. That's how they kind of think of him. A gamer can have some ugly practices at times from the lights on. I mean, this kid. In a bad situation last year, and three starts didn't have a turnover. I think it was seven touchdowns to zero interception ratio. So like that, so that's got to be able. That's got to be so. You got to account for that. You really do. Though in a bad situation, took advantage of it. But where he has to take advantage of, is, and I saw a couple of highlights and people mentioned that were at the open practice for AM last night. Missing some deep balls. Max Johnson, the backup quarterback. I don't think this is a competition. I think it is Wigman's job, really, unless he just goes and loses it. But Max Johnson completes the deep ball, more consistent on hitting the deep balls than Connor Wigman has been. And when you got weapons, when you got weapons like Evan Stewart, you got guys like Noah Thomas, Moose Muhammad, Anaya Smith, you have to take advantage because those guys are going to get open and win a lot of their one on one battles. You have to take advantage of that. I think AM has. Probably the best wide receiver room in the in the conference, if maybe not the country. Call me crazy. Um, true freshman, look out for Ruben Owens, the five-star running back from El Campo. I think he's going to be a big name uh, by season's end. We'll be talking about him a lot heading into 24 season. He'll be a guy to keep an eye on. The D-line, I think, should be really good. Elijah Robinson, obviously with the unfortunate passing of defensive ends, Coach Terry Price. Elijah Robinson's taking the whole defensive line, I believe, or they promoted an analyst off the field. Heard that for somebody inside the building. They promoted an analyst up who's going to handle the ends, but Elijah Robinson's going to be doing a lot of that day-to-day. I mean, guys like Shamar Stewart, Shamar Turner, McKinley Jackson, Walter Nolan, Fidel Diggs, guys like that are ready to take that next step. A&M season's going to hinge on their run defense improving. Then they got to let their defense play. You've heard me continue to say that. I mean, they got guys like Tyreek Chappelle. He's going to be fine in that corner spot. They're trying to figure out that other corner spot. Is that going to go to a Boston College newcomer transfer, Josh DeBerry, or is that going to be a 2023 true freshman, Javon Thomas? A&M, the more I talk to those guys over there, they feel more confident, like they're – a little underrated, and it just hit me. I didn't give you the coaches' poll. So after we're done with these fall camp updates before I get into my confidence level of non-conference play for the SEC teams, I'll show you that uh, coaches' poll. I apologize on that. But, again, A&M, under the radar. People are talking about them, but not in the right way, if that makes sense. They really like themselves this year. I mean, I had them going 9-3 and three last year, but even talking to people last year, like, maybe a little too early. I think people are fired up about this 2022 class, but remember, they're only freshmen. Well, now those guys are sophomores closer to juniors with with the injuries last year mounting up in the head to play earlier. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, I like AM a lot this year. Not worried about the offense. Call me crazy. The key for AM will be stopping the run and proving that run defense. And they have the talent to do it. Uh, moving over to Auburn, the Plains. Right now, it looks like it's Peyton Thorne. And hold up a second. Holden Gerner are getting the reps at ones right now. Robbie Ashford getting the reps at the twos and threes. I don't know why. I haven't looked into it, honestly. But as we get closer to the season, I do have my concerns with Auburn's offensive line. And that's not Hugh Freeze's fault. That's from the last two coaching staffs, Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson, just not fixing that. Just too many misses up front there. I think they brought in guys, obviously, from Tulsa. Um, 
Western Kentucky. They brought some transfers in. But I, I just – how good can this team be? I think the ceiling on the – not team. How good can this unit on the offensive line be? I think the ceiling kind of low. Again, I think Auburn could go win closer to six, seven, eight would be a great year if it all breaks for them. But just a very small unit looking at him. I mean, Avery Jones is playing center. He looks about the size of the guy that's going to go play one of the tackle spots is Dylan Wade from a stature standpoint. It's a lot of group of five guys they brought up to come play up a level. Will that translate? It's an undersized group now. You see him in person a little bit, and it concerns me a little bit. Uh, sounds like Jarquez Hunter, though, in positive news, will be back sometime this week. Uh, defense, veteran Marcus Harris, who I recruited at Kansas. We signed him from Montgomery. He's now at Auburn. Mentioned Ron Roberts, the new defensive coordinator at Auburn, will be doing a lot more slanting up front. No surprise. Said last year they would really just kind of stay on the offensive line more and just try to let the linebackers go fill in gaps and collect the tackles. Different styles, not right or wrong. But uh, secondary, not worried about that group. Most confident group I am in Auburn is the secondary group. I mean, guys like Nehemiah Pritchett, DJ James, Zion Puckett, and Jalen Simpson, they should be steady. Keandre Scott's another guy to throw in that. Auburn should be fine. Just They're one of those teams. I mentioned Tennessee and um, – who was I mentioning? It was Tennessee and somebody else I mentioned just a second ago. And I'm a little bit higher on it for fall camp. Uh, a little bit more Mississippi State, Tennessee and Mississippi State, who I mentioned. I apologize. Tennessee and Mississippi State, who I mentioned after kind of fall camp going through a couple of days. I know it's early. Let's get through the scrimmage one and two. Those are the two biggest. Let's get through the first week. I'm a little bit higher on changing a prediction maybe by a game. Auburn, I'm a little bit more down on. Not they're going to go to a bowl game. I think they're going to get six wins, but is it going to be six or seven or seven or eight? It's kind of where I'm at on that. I think they're closer to a seven-win team than an 18 when uh, 18 eight win team right now, I think the offensive line is going to be a little underwhelming. I hate to be like that, but I think that's where I, I just think it is to make it through a whole season with no injuries. It's a lot to ask. Um, heading over to Baton Rouge, look out for Andre Sam, the safety from Tulane has been good for LSU. Also, got to keep an eye on Jacoby Guillory will be another key for the Tigers on the interior front. Uh, with Mason Smith being out in the spring, Makai Wingo also being out in the spring. He took some reps. Also, Mason Smith coming off an ACL injury he sustained in the first game against Florida State last year. Makai Wingo also. They're not very deep on the interior. They have to get better. They have to stop the run there, too. That's my concern with LSU and that in the secondary a little bit. But I think the edges for LSU can help LSU secondary out a little bit. Depth on that defensive tackle concerns me a little bit. Um, LSU just really doesn't have a ton of question marks in a, in a good way, obviously, outside of who will be – Who's going to be the depth guys in the interior on the defensive tackle after Makai Wingo and Mason Smith? And then obviously the corner spots. I mean, you got, you're fighting over between Deuce Chestnut, Denver Harrison, Zy Alexander. Uh, you can make the argument LSU has the least amount of question marks in regard to their starting 22 than any other team in the league. Even Georgia, I mean, less question marks. They just have a lot back. Again, I think Alabama has a better top 40 than LSU depth-wise in the West. I think Alabama's got the best top 40 in the SEC West. I think LSU's got the best starting 22. But as we know, your 22's not your top 22 is not going to be the only guys playing. You're not only going to play 22 guys without a 12-game schedule, 13-game schedule for LSU last year. I really should say 14 after a bowl game. But I think Alabama's got the most depth. LSU's got the most proven top 22. Kind of came up with that assessment over here the last week, and I'm sticking to it. But LSU, not a lot of question marks. You could tell. I didn't really give you a ton of updates. I think Jacoby and Guillory is something I took that's going to have to be going to have to really step up because I'm I'm not totally hook line and seeker. Mason Smith's going to step in and be Warren Sapp. I'm just not right off the bat coming off an ACL injury. He had to trust that knee again. Him holding up against the run, shooting his hands, shedding it. Is he going to shed the blockers? Is he going to be comfortable doing that? Is 
he struggled against the run a little bit already. Not in a bad way, but can he get comfortable, get that confidence back? And Makai Wingo's have to step up. And like I said, Jacoby Guillory. Not a lot of questions with LSU, just, just some thoughts. Uh, moving over to Fayetteville. Got some question marks here. Uh, Arkansas seems comfortable with themselves through the first four days of camp. Remember, two new coordinators, new offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, new defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, coming over from UCF. Reports say expect more wide receiver screens from Arkansas offense this year with some more middle field throws. Kind of like that with Dan Enos. I have concern a little bit with terminology, putting way too much on K.J. Jefferson's uh, plate. I mentioned that my preseason SEC quarterback rankings head into the 2023 season. I think you got to keep it simple for KJ Jefferson. I think Kendall Braz did that. Danny Enos needs to do that. Danny Enos needs to do that. Uh, see what he did with Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of Jalen Hurts is himself, though. He's a different breed. Can't compare him to KJ Jefferson, but they got to keep it simple, stupid for KJ Jefferson. I'm not saying he's stupid. It's just a statement. I just think less on his plate, the better. Um, so simple screens, more middle of the field throws. He's got to be accurate. Got to be consistently accurate there. Uh, so look, it looks like there's going to be more wide receiver screens, more bubbles this year. Um, Andrew Armstrong, the transfer wide receiver from Texas A&M Con Commerce, has been a good sign for the wide receivers, a unit that needs someone to step up. The defense going to have to be improved for Arkansas as well if they're going to improve on the 7-6 and six record. Travis Williams and co-DC Marcus Woodson have their hands full with that. Um, all signs point to they feel like they've shown some improvement in the secondary right now, but everybody's saying that. So and Arkansas fans can attest they've been saying that for years and it hasn't improved. But Al Walcott, Walcott, sorry, Al Walcott should have a pretty big immediate impact for Arkansas secondary next year. The Baylor transfer has played a lot of football, apparently a very good communicator, loud, understanding, you can tell just watching some of these guys and talking to some guys at Arkansas. This this wow, the Al Walcott, sorry, I keep mispronouncing his name, getting tongue-tied. Al Walcott, transfer from Baylor, you can tell. He's going to be a much, much needed veteran presence on the back end at Arkansas. It's just them getting, Arkansas just getting both sides of the ball just comfortable in their new system. Like I said, Danny knows they got a run game. They got a solid run game with KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders, Dominic Johnson, guys like that. Uh, I think they're gonna be fine on offense. You gotta keep it, keep keep it simple. And someone on the outside is gonna have to step up defensively, just making sure you're organized. I, the team's gonna be playing with their hair on fire. Travis Williams gets his guys fired up more than anyone else. It's just staying on task, uh, keeping your mind right, not getting too emotionally charged. Uh, staying even kill, not too high, not too low. So the key for the Razorbacks, I think there's limited personnel-wise. Uh, they're going to have to try to make lemonade out of lemon. They're going to have to make lemonade out of lemons of what they got. As weird as an analogy as that is. It's interesting with Arkansas this year. They, they lost their best player, um, Drew Sanders, from last year. Where are they going to get that production from? I think Travis Williams has great ideas, but is he going to be able to execute it? In year one is a defense coordinator, his first time being a DC in the SEC. I think these are make or break hires for Sam Pittman in the next two or three years. And the trajectory of the Arkansas program is going to be determined by the Dan Enos hire on offense and the Travis Williams hire on defense. So, some updates from Arkansas. Need a guy to step up on the outside. Sounds like they're playing to KJ Jefferson's strengths. Get it out to the bubble screens, more throws over the middle of the field. Defense is going to be a, uh, just an overall unit. Secondary is going to take that next step. Just think eh, a little bit personnel based defense on the back end's not been a very well recruited group for Arkansas's defense. And then moving to Ole Miss, last preview, our last fall camp update for the here uh in this segment. 
But quarterback battle still seems formally unsettled. Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard. Ole Miss added running back Jam Griffin from Oregon State yesterday. Was at Georgia Tech previously as well. Not enough talk about people are all fired up about Quinshawn Jenkins, and he's a great player. Top two running back in the league. There's no depth behind him after him and Ulysses Bentley. So I don't know how good this Jam Griffin is. Bennett, this is the third school now, Georgia Tech, Oregon State, now Ole Miss. But you needed some depth there because you can lose running backs quickly. I was at Auburn in 2016, and in the same week, Carrion Johnson and Cam Petway went out. You're playing a true freshman at that point. You just don't know how many running backs you can, lo- you can lose. Uh, you still understand how many running backs you can lose in a very short period of time. So that's big for Ole Miss. Like I said, if the tight end duo, Caden Priestcorn and Michael Trigg, can come together, I believe they can have an exceptional offense. I think they are going to be good on offense. Obviously, it's a Lane Kiffin-led offense. But Priestcorn and Trigger is two totally different types of tight ends. If they can both stay on the same page, try to keep his head on straight a little bit, if you're reading between the lines there, those are going to be the two weapons, I think, because I don't really like Ole Miss's just total depth at wide receiver this year. I really don't. I really don't. But we shall see that on offense. The defense, new D.C. Pete Golden coming over from Alabama. Still seems like it's figuring out. A lot of new guys on that side of the ball that have never played with one another. 11 new faces on that side of the ball, and they're too deep. That's 22 guys on defense, and they're too deep. 11 new guys that were not even with the team last year. That's a lot to expect any kind of improvement with a new D.C. I think they'll be a little improved, but like I stated for weeks now, that's going to have to be created by Pete. It's going to have to be created by Pete Golden in his aggressive style. They're going to have to focus on turnovers. They're going to give up yards between the 20s. They're going to have to be solid in the red zone and create turnovers to get the ball back to that explosive offense. They're not just going to shut people down. They don't have the personnel to do it. It's a new defensive coordinator, and they're changing scheme. They're changing scheme. This is a 3-4 defense. They, they don't really have the bodies personnel-wise to do that. So, yeah, I got major concerns about the Ole Miss defense. I do like the Ole Miss offense, but I do think, the Caden preschool and the Memphis transfer at tight end and Michael Trigger has to step up. Just, I'm not totally sold on the Ole Miss wide receiver depth. And then Ole Miss, I think it was good adding the Griffin kid from Oregon State just from a depth standpoint to have another body at the running back position after Quinshaw Jenkins. Things are fine with Ole Miss. Uh, Jackson Jordan thinks going to win that job, but it's really going to come down to where they can get the production on the outside. Can Quinshaw Jenkins stay healthy the entire year? And can they get any kind of turnovers and be solid in the red zone to try to hold teams to field goals on defense? Tough task for Pete Golden's first year, but that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, so moving out of that, we are out uh, of the fall camp updates. Again, I'm going to bring them to you every episode heading into the season. But I mentioned, I told you, we're going to bring up the coaches poll. It came out. Let me briefly go through that, share the screen real fast. Bring that up. Talk about that for. So this really means nothing to me. This is the head coach. This is the coaches poll. Really, the sports information directors poll. But it came out. Georgia obviously number one. Big shocker. Alabama at three. Some people didn't like it, but until Nick Saban leaves, Alabama is always going to be a preseason top five, top sixteen. Three maybe a little too high. But again, I mean, outside of Georgia, Michigan, I mean, are you for sure saying Ohio State's going to be better in Alabama? Are you for sure saying LSU is going to be better in Alabama? I mean, speaking of LSU, they roll in at five. I think we're overthinking this a little bit. It's fine. I mean, if you put LSU above Alabama, that's fine, too. Again, like I keep saying, I think LSU is the best starting 22, the least amount of questions in the West. But I think Alabama's top 40 is better than LSU's from top to bottom. So you could – I think we're splitting hairs with that. I think they got the first two right for sure. Tennessee coming in at 10th from the SEC. I think that's fine as well. Again, I'm growing confidence with the balls by day. Um, did Ole Miss at 22nd. Maybe a little too high with the Rebels. I don't think people are taking their defense into account. I think A&M totally underrated. I think A&M last year came in 
in the first coaches poll, I was looking up at preseason number six last year, way too high for him. Again, I didn't go nine and three last year. I was high on him, just like a lot of people. 25th, it's way too low, way too low. AM could easily be a top 10 team. On paper, they're probably a top six, seven team in the country. Way too low. They're going to finish higher than top 25. But again, right now, that is one, two, three, four, five, six SEC teams in the top 25 heading into the season. This really means nothing. I wish they'd wait till about week six, seven, or eight to come out with the first coach's poll. But I just wanted to talk about it. We just needed to talk about it. Something to discuss. Again, you can make an argument Alabama's a little too high, LSU's a little too low. I think you're splitting hairs with both of those teams. I think Ole Miss is a little overrated. I don't think they're the 22nd best team in the country. And I, I think AM's much higher than the 25th team. I think they should be a top 15 team. I know, and I know some people are that team finished five and seven, finished last in the SEC West last year. Go look at the roster, go watch the film. I'm telling you, this AM team, I, I'm starting to be loud about it. They're going to be good this year. They could win the SEC West. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. They're, they're just as talented just as talented, especially in their first probably 30, 35 with Alabama and LSU. Again, I think Alabama's got that top 40, and you're like, well, Dave, you're splitting hairs like eight to ten guys. That can make a big difference. I'm telling you, A&M could surprise some people. Watch out. Um, all right. Then getting to the final segment of the night. we got a lot of not great non-conference matchups uh, between SEC teams, some of the elite SEC teams, and some other conferences. Uh, I'm going to do my confidence level for every big-time SEC non-conference matchup, and I'm going to do this on a scale from 1 to 10. I'm going to give it to you right here. So we're going to go in order of week. So week one, Florida at Utah. I'm going to give you uh, – I'm going to give it a 6. I'm confident in Utah on a, on a, six, on a level 6. 6, 1 through 10. With Cameron Rising, injury happened, Utah's quarterback – I'm not as confident as I was in Utah save, hell, the whole offseason. Uh, Florida is growing confidence a little bit. I just don't know if they go all the way out to Salt Lake City and win that game. I think it's going to be closer. I think they're giving them eight in the spread right now. But with Cam Rising being out, it's probably closer to an eight for Utah. It's going down to a six now. But I would say right now, uh, on, a le- on a scale of one through ten, I like Utah in a six, about a six right now. Confidence level, Utah winning that game against Florida. I'm sorry, Florida. Gator Nation, but I just still think Utah. I think Cam Rising is going to be somewhere around 80% uh, heading into that game. But another week one matchup, and this is a game, it's a total toss up to me. Probably one of the most interesting games that Saturday night matchup in Charlotte, South Carolina versus North Carolina in Charlotte, like I mentioned. We go with North Carolina level six, one through 10, splitting hairs a little bit. Both teams are going to score points. Over under right now, 61 and a half. I would take the over. A lot of question marks on defense for both teams. Gene Chizik's got to get that defense right at North Carolina. Brad White's got to get that deep. Sorry, not Brad White. But both teams got to get the defenses right. right, right. Both de- both teams got to get those defenses right. Uh, they want to pull out the victory in Charlotte. I think it's one of the most exciting games of the weekend. But, again, I got, I got North Carolina. I feel confident in the Tar Heels. I'm going to give it a six right now. Uh, week one, that Sunday night matchup, LSU versus Florida State in Orlando. I gave it a five. Five LSU, it wouldn't shock me either way. These could be two teams that are in the playoffs as well. I think Florida State's going to be pretty good this year. I like them as the class in the ACC. I think LSU's got a good first 22-28, like I said, even 30. But, again, I mean, this game came down to a block field goal last, a block extra point last year. It was kind of an ugly game. A lot of week one, week zero, week one games are. I'm going to go LSU five. Miguel LSU 5, this game could go any way. You could draw it up numerous ways, and it would not shock me. But LSU probably don't. Level five out of ten right now. I'm confident. Heading to week two, Texas at Alabama on a scale of one to ten. 
like Alabama seven. It's grown a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know really why. I think Alabama's, I think Alabama's mentality. They're saying all the right things. They're bringing me in. They're making me believe it. The physical murder ball mentality is going to come back. Is it going to be too big for Texas to come in there? I saw last week Jeff Banks mentioned, hey, Texas has been at Iowa State, Kansas. It's not going to be any different than Bryant-Denny Stadium. There's going to be more people at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So surprisingly, he said that. I don't think he really meant a ton by it, but surprisingly, he said that after working at Alabama for a little bit. But again, I don't, is Texas ready for this? Because I think Alabama's going to be real fired up and pissed off more so than people were thinking. So I, it went from a six Alabama, so it's grown to seven. I like Alabama here. I'm, I'm going to go seven through ten. I'm confident right now Alabama wins that game in week two at home against Texas. Staying in week two. A lot of good week two matchups uh, in non-conference play. Auburn at Cal. We go Auburn on a one through ten scale. We go Auburn at a seven right now in the confidence level. Cal will be interesting, adding Jake Spavital, the former Texas State Head coach, former OC at Texas A&M. He's the new OC at Cal. Um, they have major holes at wide receiver and offensive line. The Bears do. Uh, defense is going to be at a, a, is going to have to be at another level for the defense. Going to be really good for Cal to even stay in this game with Auburn. I don't think Auburn's personnel is great. But Auburn, unless their trip across the country is just brutal, Auburn should win this, and this is why I give it a seven. Lean a little bit closer to eight than I do six, but I like Auburn here at seven. Auburn should win this game if they don't win this game. Woo! Could be a long season on the Plains. Uh, another week two matchup. This is my most confident one. Ole Miss at Tulane on a one through ten conference level scale. Give me the Rebs in eight, baby. People, a lot of people nationally are calling this a potential upset. I think Tulane's one of the more overrated teams in the country. From people like maybe they sneak in the playoff. Not going to happen. They got UC. Everybody's basing this off US off the Cotton Bowl winning at USC. And that was a great win. That was a great win for Willie Fritz in that program. And I like what Willie Fritz has done in that program. One of the best coaches in college football from top to bottom. Organization standpoint, putting his players in the best position to excel, have success. I think Fritz does a great job. But I, don't think, I think they lost too much to keep up with Ole Miss this year. I mean, they lost four out of their five weapons. Yes, they got Pratt, Michael Pratt back at quarterback. And I think it's what people are seeing are kind of living and dying with is, hey, they got Michael Pratt back and they beat USC. Well, they lost dang near the entire defense. Tony, Ole Miss is going to go win this game by double digits. It may not be big, not ready to say it, but they're going to win this game comfortably by double digits. On a scale through 1 through 10, I like Ole Miss at an 8 in this game. Ole Miss fans are going to take over Yeoman Stadium down in New Orleans. It'll be a vacation for a bunch of those people. I'm telling you, it's going to be like Georgia Tech last year. Not maybe the game won't be as bad, but it'll be a lot more red and blue in that stadium than, a, more green, than, the, than green. The more Tulane fans will be a lot more Ole Miss fans than Tulane fans. I feel very confident that Rebs here. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10 confidence level. They take down the green wave this year. Uh, week two, stay there. Texas A&M at Miami. Miami, big mystery team, much over. Not very good last year. Again, you've heard me talk about A&M. But give it a seven for A&M. Maybe a little bit closer to six than an eight, just because I don't know what Miami's bringing. That's it. I think A&M's going to win this game. I feel comfortable saying that. That's why I went with a seven. I just don't, It's more, I don't know what Miami's really going to bring this table. But I don't think they're going to beat A&M. I, I just don't think they're going to beat A&M. Miami brought in a lot of, transfer portal guys just like Florida State. So with the, with all that, just like LSU secondary, you don't really know what you're getting. But I think AM should go down to Miami, win this game, but it could be closer than a lot of people were thinking about. This game's not really talked about as much as it was going into last year. For whatever reason, people aren't even talking about that. Talk to people at a and from talking to them. They don't even know how to feel about Miami. It's just a big new roster. Coordinator changes all over the place. You just don't know. You just don't know. Um, so I'll give it a seven. Seven, a has to have this, but I'll go seven. I think a and going to go down there and get that win. 
sticking to week two. I mean, we got four or five of them here. Arizona at Mississippi State, a scale of one through ten on the confidence level. I'm going to go with six Mississippi State here. Arizona quarterback Jaden DeLora is a dude, and their offense is going to put up points with Jed Fish and that offensive staff. Uh, defense has to improve, though. I doesn't have to get back to Desert Swarm style back with Teddy Bruschi and the boys in Arizona. they got to be somewhat improved. Uh, but this is a bowl-eligible team that's going to be coming into Star Bowl. I think, I think um, Jed Fish is going to get to a bowl game in his – for the first time in this week is what third year in Arizona. Yeah, they'll get to a bowl game. I think they get to six wins. So this game's another non-conference game. It's not talked about a lot. That could be sneaky for Mississippi State. They need to be focused on this. Not overly ready. Just because oh yeah, they're gonna win that game at home. People are counting it a lot, and I, I'm gonna count it a win. Six, six. I'm gonna give it a six. I think Arizona's sneaky. It's gonna be. A, I think we're gonna look back at Mississippi State's schedule and be like, dang, Arizona won six, seven games. It's a solid non-conference win for Mississippi State early in the year. I'm going to give it a six. It being at home, Mississippi State got the win last year, but I think Arizona is going to be a little bit better. So feel confident giving that a six. And then the final week two game, actually, this is my highest rated confidence level is Tennessee versus Virginia in Nashville at Nissan Stadium. Give me, give me a nine here. Tennessee is going to go make a statement that opening weekend. I think they're going to be the team that's going to be talked about from a very impressive standpoint that first weekend. They're just better on paper than Tony Elliott's Virginia Cavalier squad, just from top to bottom. They're just a better squad. Tennessee big. Nissan Stadium is going to be painted out in orange and not Virginia orange. We're, we're talking about the Tennessee orange. But it, Tennessee, I feel very confident, is the team that's going to look very good that opening week. It's kind of what Josh Heupel does. I think Tennessee is going to be kind of come up with a little bit of an a little bit of an edge. I think they're going to be fired up. I think they're going to look good. So I'm, a, I'm at nine. I'd be shocked if Virginia was really in this game in the fourth quarter. I'm that confident. So as you can tell, I'm real confident in Ole Miss going on the road and beating Tulane. I just think Tulane is one of the more overrated I think people are hoping this is more of an upset than it actually is. Like four out of their top five weapons are going to the outside. Lost majority of their defense, have massive holes on defense. Then I think, no doubt about it, Tennessee beats Virginia. Just just an older, more talented squad. Essentially a home game for Tennessee. No way I see Virginia winning this game. Uh, then week three matchup. K-State returning the favor. Going to Como that last year. Remember, it's that rainstorm. They had a bunch of delays. One of Missouri's worst games of the year. Just got totally boat raced. Uh, Missouri, I'm a little more confident in this than the national media. A lot of national media are picking this a loss. I got Missouri at home as a confidence level one through 10, a seven. Give it a seven. I'm telling you, Missouri gets solid quarterback play. I don't care who it is, from Brady Cook or Jake Garcia, the Miami transfer. They can be solid. They have a ton of weapons. Shouldn't say a ton, a little bit of an exaggeration. They have enough weapons on the outside to win. I like their running backs. They're deep in the offensive line. We discussed it in our fall update, fall camp update. I'm caught, this may be more of the one that's a little bit more of a surprise to people. I, I'm giving it a seven, Missouri. I like Missouri at home. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be ready for that. One. They're going to be ready for that one. I like Missouri at a conference level one through ten at a seven to get revenge on the Kansas State Wildcats in week three. Uh, just the defensive turnover for K State's too much, and they lost their most explosive players. I mean, Deuce Vaughn's gone. He's gone. So I, I I like where Missouri is right now. They're one of those teams. So you can tell so far early during fall camp, I like Missouri probably a little bit better if they can get the quarterback situation figured, situation figured out. I like Tennessee. I like the veteran players. I, I'm leaning more towards giving them 10 wins than nine right now. Um, then I like Mississippi State right now. I'm not saying I, I things are going to change. I'm going to like some teams. But – Throughout as camp goes on, I'm like start liking some teams more. I'm start disliking some teams more. Factor in injuries, the first scrimmage, second scrimmage. Remember, this is the biggest week, the biggest week going in for your team. But that was just a little. That was a good segment. I feel like of my confidence level of the big non-conference games this year. Uh, again, you can tell I'm bullish. I think Ole Miss is going to you know, take it to Tulane. 
Um, a little surprise pick. I like Missouri over K-State getting revenge there. And I think there's no way in Haiti Virginia goes into Nashville and beats Tennessee or is even competing in the fourth quarter. Call me crazy. Just want to do that exercise for you there. Uh, remember, we have scout school coming up on Wednesday. We're going to make that its own segment. Me and Recruiting 101's Josh Murphy will get on it. We're going to evaluate like we've been doing. I hope you've been enjoying this summer feature. We've been doing, we'll make it a full-time feature on Wednesday. It's a life of its own. I hope you enjoy it. Three guys will evaluate. And then we're back at it on Thursday. More camp updates and continue to talk about it. Hey, we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. And this will be one of the more important weekends, weeks to keep up with. Because, again, that scrimmage is later in this week. Vanderbilt's already had theirs because they're a week ahead. But your favorite team's first scrimmage is going to be at the end of this week or this weekend. So you need to be paying attention there. I'm going to keep bringing you all the information from all these SEC camps, from my sources, from watching practice highlights myself, from reading the reports, from the great job these beat writers do for all 14 of these teams. But keep joining us. I look forward to seeing you hopefully Wednesday. But if not Wednesday, come join us for Thursday's episode. But, again, I hope you have a great remainder of your week. Appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.